0: Good
1: morning,
2: I'm Loreto Rocas and I'm Cal Winslow. This morning as part of Hispanic Heritage Month, we are remembering the other 9-11, the coup d'etat 50 years ago in Chile 1973. By all accounts, North Americans seem to know little or nothing about this coup and the roles of Henry Kissinger, the CIA, and the Nixon administration. And yet these uh, events too shook the world. More importantly,
0: the memory of the coup still burns in the memories of Chileans and millions of other Latin Americans, though perhaps even their efforts to erase all this from the collective memory continue.
2: So this morning we have with us Kike Cruz, a composer, documentary filmmaker and academic who has created multimedia productions incorporating film, dance, music, and visual arts. He has written books and musical works and has been awarded the prestigious Ashita Composer Award in California, the U.S. National Arts Award, and the Artists in the Community Award for Music Education. In addition, he was a three-time winner of the California Arts Award. Cruz has
0: made two important experimental documentaries where music is at the center of the film. His documentary, Archaeologia de la Memoria, Villa Grimaldi, was awarded with important first prizes in the international circle. His latest work, Ali Wen, Spirits of the Forest, is an artistic profile of a young luthier from the southern city in Chile called Chillan. Good morning, Kike. Thank you for coming to talk with us today.
1: Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much.
2: Kike, I wonder, could you please tell us a little bit of just about yourself, about growing up in Chile, about your family and
1: friends? Well, I was born in a small town in the central coast of Chile, 100 kilometers uh, from Santiago. It's a small town. It used to be a small town as Mendocino, a small town, fishing town, and uh, my father was a working-class man, and my my mother was a seamstress. Was uh, the fourth of five children they had, and um, in those years there was no TV here. Uh, it was just a radio, and uh, lots of times in your hands with, on the sea as well as the the forests around this place. So I spent most of the time in the forests or in the beaches, and uh, as soon as I got into first year school, I joined the band, (laughs) playing the whistle, the penny whistle of the band, of the school, and that was uh, the—that's where I got lost forever in the world of music, and. Music uh, until I began teaching music when I was older, I didn't know that uh, you were chosen to. Uh, people sometimes people you want to teach people music and it's very difficult for them to learn. And in my case, I didn't want to even. It just came to me as a child, so uh, I was a child musician. I played in the school. Later on, I joined and I created my first quintet in at the beginning of the seventies. I was. Thirteen years old, and I began playing. And um, I began I, I play because my mother bought a guitar for the house because my grandfather and my grandmother on the side of my mother they were musicians themselves. And so even though my my grandparents' siblings didn't play, it jumped a generation, <laughs> and I began playing. And and I was a musician since I was a kid. Uh, and then because because that little group that Quintet was very successful in the bay in, in this area, a university that was nearby adopted us in a way, and we began playing and going outside of the area. And I began playing in Santiago, Valparaíso. And at that time there was a lot of incredible amount of music in in this country because the Allende's government uh, paid uh close attention to art, to the arts. And so I began playing everywhere and I became the musician of the town in a way. And then by the year I, I was 15th, I couldn't uh, bear any, any longer my, my high school here. And my parents uh, decided to take me to a special school in Santiago that was for, for uh, musicians. And I joined the Conservatory of Music when I was a boy. And uh, I never really went to the Conservatory because I began playing. I began playing as a part of the the a band of the national ballet, of uh, folk national ballets that they danced, the Dances of Chile, but they also had a group. And so I was a musician playing, specifically playing kena. Kena is the main flute in the Andean world. and um, uh, I I played and I played and I until nineteen seventy-three when the coup came and that was the end of being a musician because that was the end of uh of life as it was in Chile for a long time. After you know, especially those instruments that I liked, that they were part of the Allende's government and they were part of this new music that was created that was called La Nueva Canción Latinoamericana with Violeta Parra, Victor Jara, a number of groups, uh, that music was totally prohibited to play on the radio and in any public space. And thus the instruments that we play, which were the Andean instruments and other instruments became banned. And so that was the end of music for me. So
0: you were how old when the coup happened in Chile? 16. 16 and uh the, so the the change seems to be dramatic you know i the audience know that i am also from chile and uh and i remember growing up with words that couldn't be say like poet or poetry or music or folklore and uh so pablo this, or pablo neruda right and well many other words that could just totally we couldn't say them because they were Considered so dangerous, words all related to art and performing arts and music and folklore, music that was our music. So it seems that it was as you are describing from day to night, right? So the change. Could you describe the first days? Where were you when you realized that uh, the uh, presidential palace La Moneda was bombed and uh, the president died, was killed at the Salvador Allende?
1: Well, you know, the metaphor that we've been using a lot in Chile was day and night, or they turn off the light in the house, you know. And there is another metaphor that came out of uh, a book by, with uh, Ariel Dorfman. Ariel Dorfman is a very important Chilean writer who teaches at, uh, uh, at the university in, in the East Coast in the United States who wrote a very important book at the time. It was called How to Re- Read Donald Duck. He came with a metaphor that was called my house is on fire, meaning that you were in your house having fun with your family, playing your music, playing Victor Jara or playing the music of Violeta Parra. And people were reading the books of Neruda, etc., etc. And then all of a sudden a mob comes, surrounds your house and set fire to the house. That was a coup d'etat for us. That was the coup d'etat. And so, yes, the house began burning, and then there were, there were not that many options. You know, either to stay there inside of the house and, 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 and die there, try to escape as you could, or bring something in your hand and, and go out and start fighting. I did this, I did that one. <laughs> I got pissed. Very pissed. So I got out of the house as I could and I joined the resistance. Because as you have said it, the the, the, the society stopped moving to the way the way that it was. I mean, all of a sudden the TV is not there, the 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 radios are not there, universities are closed. Uh, as the main stadium of the country, like Yankee Stadium, to say, you know, where uh, 70 people fit into that stadium became a concentration camp. And there were 1,000, we know now more than 1,000 places around the country that became uh, detention centers and torture centers. According to the figures of Caucotto, uh, the lawyer, which is one of the main lawyers of, uh, of human rights in Chile. Um he calculates or they calculate that around half a million people were, uh, you know, were tortured in Chile. At that time, it's a lot of people because the country had only 10 million people. So 500, half a million is 5% of the, of the population, you know, that directly suffered torture. Imagine the, the, the wave that, that means that if you multiply that by four, which is, which is a very, I will say, by six, Chilean families are always are larger, you know, uh, say por Cinco, uh, three million, four million people directly, you know, related to violence. Uh, and, and violence touched them because someone has been imprisoned, someone been tortured, someone has been disappeared. So it was very dramatic. Uh, and the type of, of coup and the type of violence exercised by this the, by the military in, in in concert with the upper ruling elites of the country who also supported, as well as the United States government, <laughs> they inflicted on Chile and the Chilean society a tremendous tremendous amount of pain, fear, and that was the result of a society that a, a dictatorship that lasted for seventeen years one of the most cruel dictatorships of Latin America, one of the most cruel in the history of the twentieth century. And that's a lot, because there have been a lot of dictatorships in, in Latin American countries. And so I think why what the Chilean case is so is so known and so dramatic and so well publicized is because Chilean society or the southern cone of Latin America, which is Argentina, Chile and and and, llama, and Uruguay are very they're very cosmopolitan societies. Uh, there are a lot of Nobel prizes here in these societies, you know, uh, a lot of important writers, a lot of cinema have come out of these places, a lot of music have come out of these places. So the coup d'etat here, it was like, you know, pers- to say for the United States to understand this is a very European society. These are very European societies. And therefore, when the repression went, you know, set upon the society, they went into big universities, they touched big writers, they touched big uh, people in, in, in the arts, and they killed Victor Jara, who was a theater play, you know, as well as as, as a director of theater, who has. Whose theater are playing in the United States? Who have, I mean, Victor Hara have, have come to United to UC Berkeley to present his his plays? You know, uh, Paulo Neruda was prohibited the Nobel Prize, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the coup was known, I think, because they they, they trample upon people who were who who people in Europe or people in the United States could relate easy easily to them. Well, not, no not for nothing that you know lots of intellectuals ended up teaching in many universities in the United States, for sure. So that's what I can tell you.
0: Okay, yeah, and uh, uh, so you have a strong connection with Mendocino. I know that um, you were telling us that actually you got, mar- got married in Mendocino. <laughs> uh, but uh, before we, we talk about your strong connection with Mendocino, I want to mention your documentary, Archaeologia de la Memoria, Villa Grimaldi. Mm-hmm. So you made this documentary. Could you tell us what Villa Grimaldi was? And by the way, remind me, please, when that movie was presented here at Mendocino Music Festival, uh, sorry, Mendocino Film Festival.
1: Well, something that we haven't mentioned is that at some point I went into exile. I, I think it's important to tell this part of the story so people understand Villa Grimaldi, because the question is uh, that happened. I joined the resistance and I was taken in prison uh, when I was 18, uh, two years later, and I spent a a, a month uh, disappear in torture center houses. A special one was called Villa Grimaldi. It's a small villa outside of Santiago that became a torture center, very infamous. More than 5,000 people were processed at Villa Grimaldi, and most of the Chilean disappears come out of that villa, out of that dark place. So I spent a month there, and then later on another year in concentration camps in in Santiago, I say in in different parts, one in Santiago and one in Valparaíso, which is uh, two hundred kilometers out of Santiago. So being very young, I experimented this 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 violence, and uh, at some point I was liberated and then kicked out out of the country, and so they expelled me out of the country. And I went to Canada, I lived in Vancouver, and um, by some reason, uh, uh, at that time, there was a musician at at Berkeley in in a place that was called La Peña Cultural Center that was doing a record. Uh, At that time, there were records, LPs, (laughs) and they needed a musician. And I used to play, I mean, I played flutes, which at that time were very, very specific. And not, there were not many musicians playing these flutes. And so when they knew about it, <laughs> I ended up coming to make that record and I never left because I made that RLP with Rafael Manriquez, what's called Grupo Raiz. And then we, we began touring right away and became very big. And then we were invited to Europe to tour, to tour. And then all of a sudden, we were making another record and another record. And so I ended up staying in the States. And I, 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 my base was Berkeley. I used to live in Berkeley for a long time. And so after, after that part of my life, I knew that I wanted to come back to Chile and I was gonna be difficult to be just a musician. So I began and I enrolled at uh, UC Berkeley and I, I studied history there. And then <clears throat> right at the time that I, I, I finished studying history, uh, Pinochet was taken in prison in London at some point because he went for a treatment and uh, they, 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 they detained him in London in a clinic. And at that time I was gonna go do graduate work, I remember, and I didn't know what to do. I I wanted to study law first and then I wanted to to study more history. But then I decided to go into a program at Stanford that is called Modern Thought and Literature, which is everything and nothing. (laughs) It was kind of an open ticket for a PhD that you can combine anything that you wanted. And I I ended up combining anthropology, literature and philosophy. And out of that came the idea of making a, a dissertation. And a dissertation. My, my proposal was to create um, uh, uh, a narrative that talked about the contradiction of the creation of objects of art out of uh, uh, situations of pain. Meaning, artists go through situations of pain, and how that art, be- how their art, become transformed. So the relationship of aesthetics and terror, really. And so I proposed the idea and I I, dis, I told them that I wanted to make a film out of the dissertation. And so I began doing it. I so I came back to Chile, I interviewed five different artists who have gone through Villa Grimaldi, this torture center. I interviewed them in three times in three moments. Before they went through Villa Grimaldi, as they were at Villa Grimaldi and the, the transformation of their art after the experience of via Grimaldi. So surviving Villa Grimaldi, because many people didn't survive. And I created this, this piece that was based on music, because first I created the music and then we filmed based on the music. And so I think that was in 2002, 2003, that I went to the festival and I won the... Uh, they won first prize, I think, at a Mendocino with my film, which was uh, beautiful. So the film is that, it's, it is a, a, a look, a, 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 how do you say, it, it is a, a close look at this apparent contradiction of the creation of objects of art out of experience of pain. That's what my documentary is all about.
2: I wonder if we could pause for just a a moment here, uh, Kike. Uh, This is KZYX Community Radio. You are listening to the Hispanic Heritage Series this year dedicated to the 1973 coup in Chile, a seminal event in the history of the Americas all too often forgotten. We're talking with Kike Cruz, a composer and documentary filmmaker who's in Chile uh, as we speak.
0: Uh, Kike, so you you um so you filmed, you did your dissertation with this um documentary. How was going back to Chile? Was that the first time you were going back after you were? exiled
1: no look what happened with the decrease of uh, expulsion that they call them <laughs> when they expelled you from the country they little by little as the dictatorship became to an end after 12 years because they they were like 17 years on on, on power they began creating lists of people who could go back, who were allowed once again into the country. And I was allowed one of the in the last list of people who were allowed to come back. And I came back <laughs> to my luck because I have had very good luck in my life and very bad luck. It's just my high my life is a uh, Russian mountain, Russian uh, a roller coaster. We call them in Chile, Montaña Rusa, uh, a roller coaster. Oh, you are either at the bottom of the stuff or you are at the top of the stuff. And I met a musician there, his name is Jackson Brown. And Jackson Brown, um, uh, I ended up playing in, a, in, in, in on, 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 a, on one of his work. And Jackson Brown, Sting, and Peter Gabriel, at some moment, created something that was called uh, El Abrazo de la Esperanza, the embrace of peace with uh, the Amnesty International. And they created concerts for awareness as well as getting money to to give to people who were fighting for democracy in Latin America. And in this case, at the moment that the dictatorship was ending, they went to the national, National Stadium in Chile and they did two concerts. These two concerts in the National Stadium, which had been a concentration camp, seventy, eighty thousand <laughs> people came each night. And I was, and I went, I went back playing with Jackson Brown at that time. And imagine for me, you know, a musician from Yale, and then after all the things, and then after having had friends who have been in the stadium, you know, go back and play for Amnesty International in the denunciation of the coup d'etat, in the denunciation of the atrocities committed by the Junta, uh, was an incredible experience for me. I was lucky, at the same time, very emotional. And so I came back to Chile being a musician. I left because I was a musician, and I came back being a musician. So like there were no pare- parentheses in my life. My life went through uh, as, a, as a musician since I'm a kid. And then I went back and I, I am a musician and and here I am, you uh uh damn people <laughs> who have done this to us. And we came, I came back. Uh, my friends, imagine my friends when they saw me. <laughs> no, the people didn't know. I you know, I appear on national TV, on the radio, and the newspapers, you know, ah, the Ch- Chilean is coming, you know. Uh, uh, a Chilean is coming as a musician with these musicians from the States. So and also I was embraced by the Chilean musicians who they knew me, they knew my work, and they they were so happy. And I was so happy. It's like the the story of the, the you know, the lost cousin, you know? El Primo Perdido, you know? And so it was pretty good. Uh, that's how I went back to Chile. I came back to Chile the first time. And then I began coming every year and playing. Every, every year I came on the winter when I, I wasn't, when I was a student or was teaching the summers there, I came here and I played in very, very many different places in Chile with many, many musicians. I, I began to reconnect with the musician scene in, in Chile and I was accepted and my music was accepted and the rest of history is history.
2: Um, you've been making documentaries as well for some years now. Um, could you, you've, you've been talking about this, but could you maybe talk a bit about filmmaking and how that helps you and others deal with the uh, consequences
1: of violence and torture? Well, you know, as I got older, I wanted to become a writer, really. So I wrote a book. That was called The Memories of an Ex Chess Player, which is the base of what became my film, Archaeology of Memory. But as I got older, I began to understand that I was a paperman. And the new generation is a, is a generation of images in movement, you know, it's a different generation. And how could I reach new people, young people especially? Uh, there is this anxiety that your story is going gonna, gonna to get lost. And so I, I I thought that through film could be the best way of continuing in, in a better way to tell the story, especially the story of memory or the memory of blood created by the dictatorship. So a, I did that first film, Archaeology of Memory, Villa Grimaldi, and then I came to Chile specifically uh, six years ago, with the project of creating two, uh, two, three other films that I wanted to 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 create to to make. One about a concentration camp that I was when uh, for a long time I would say like eight months there. When any time is a long time in a concentration camp, let me tell you. <laughs> but I spent there a, a specific time so. I wanted to to tell that part of the chapter. The first one was Villa Grimaldi, which is a torture center. Then I wanted to tell the story of a concentration camp, which was different in the Central Coast of Chile. So that's what I'm involved right now, creating a a, a documentary based on five different stories uh, that tell the story of living in this concentration camp which in a moment of our history there, we went into a hunger strike, the first hunger strike ever taking place in Chile under the dictatorship. So I'm telling the story once again by creating a music music, for it. So during the pandemic, the pandemia, I went inside of my house and I being, began compose, composing music. And this time I play music usually with a quintet, which is, or a sextet that is, that combines folk music and jazz and other forms of music, I decided to create it for a string quartet of, uh, so two violins, one viola and one um, cello. And I also created with my group. So I, I created the music and then I began filming about telling the story of this concentration camp, what percolated there. I tell the story, as I said, in five, five different stories, plus my mother, which I interview before she died, and she's she's the voice that talks from the outside about these experiences. I don't make documentaries that are like reportage. Uh, I, I make documentaries that are evocations of situations that took place uh, in these concentration camps. So I, I I selected very different voices. One is a pilot. Uh, A commercial pilot, very young commercial pilot of Lan Chile, who was the youngest pilot, uh, uh, who was in prison, Uh, uh, long distance runner, which was the national champion of five thousand meters and the national, uh, I mean the the Pan American uh, uh, champion of five thousand meters, an anthropologist. I interview also uh, the head of the museum of this concentration camp because now it's a museum, myself, which is I'm a musician that I stay there, and my mother. And through those voices, I tell the story of what happened in this year that I was there in this concentration camp. As I was making the documentary, somebody heard this and they asked me if I could make a different documentary, another documentary about another place here in close by to my home, which was a where the DINA, the Dirección de Inteligencia Nacional, the National Intelligence Operations that the, the junta created, which was kind of the Gestapo, you know, compared with the German situation, it was called the SS or the Gestapo, was created in this town. And so I began also filming about that. And I also created music. This for this piece I'm creating electronic music. So I create music and I tell these stories of memory. And the one here is based on the story of one, only one person that tells the whole story. That's what I do. It's not the only thing that I do in film. Uh, I also did, as you mentioned, I just interviewed Luthier, which is a, how do you say, a prodigy? Luthier from from a Southern town in Chile, which at 16 years of age, made a guitar and nobody taught, taught him nothing like he made a guitar and that was kind of incredible for me so I made this it's a half an hour documentary about that and it's so I made films rather not just on memory but on other things as well and they're all a little bit of experimental because they're based on music to begin with.
0: Thank you for that and uh, I want to um tell our listeners that you are listening to a Hispanic Heritage series produced here in our community radio station, K- KZYX, uh, with your host, myself, Loreto Rojas, and Carl Winslow. And today, we are here fascinating listening the history of Kiki um, Cruz, a composer and documentary filmmaker from Chile, who survived the coup d'etat in 1973 after being disappeared for a month in a torture center and then went to be another year spent on these uh, concentration camps. So thank you for listening today. This is the series we are calling it The Other 9-11. Because unfortunately, as you know, uh, in September 11, also here in 2001 at the United States, we had an attack in New York, uh, but the history of the coup in 1973 has shaken the Americas deeply, as you already heard Kiko to- Kike uh, talking about this.
2: Um,
0: so Kike, you um, are a prolific artist, and um, I know you were also, uh, remember when I visited you last year, I think it was, you were also working as a luthier You were also making instruments. So you uh, are a musician in your blood. The music is in your blood. Then you go back to be a musician, even if you didn't want to, and uh, join Grupo Raíz in Berkeley, as you told us, and then had this incredible opportunity to work for Amnesty International and be part of this important for... I was in Chile at the time, so I remember I went to the stadium for I that. Mean. And uh, for us, it was just incredible to be heard and uh, to know that people were actually feeling um, that we're on our side as we endure a horrible dictatorship. Um, So let me ask you a question about. um, Do you think I mean, you have talked that you PhD in Stanford, you actually put together philosophy, History, aesthetics, music—you know—into creating arqueología de la memoria that we were lucky enough to see it here in Mendocino. But uh, my question is, how do we, how do we work with art and music to have a more democratic society? Do you think there is a way to make to have a more democratic world by working in these entrepreneurs, artistics a search and creativity. Uh,
1: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Well, you know, after reading and doing a lot of reading on the subject and even teaching about this, it's very contradictory because we cannot talk about the world. We have to talk about uh, el occidente, no? We have to talk about Western society and the role of art in Western society. As we know, the role in Western society in the 20th century, especially in the 20th century is it's an art, the art forms are always uh, against the powers be. And that was kind of the role of art, you know, or role disruptive, not in a lot of time, political, uh, political parties were at odds with artists, you know, and uh, regimes were uh, trying to co- co-opt art and it became propaganda as in this in in the Soviet Union you see for for example so artists in the in in the Western society especially in the 20th century is at odd with powers be whatever power be be <laughs> uh, uh, political parties institutions rather be churches rather be governments rather be etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think the role of art, as as a, as I was taught, as I learned, it's always you 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 have to have independence. You have to have independence. I'm gonna tell you a, a little story, for example. I was uh, just uh, I just play actually uh, September 9th uh, outside of Moneda Palace. They invited me to play at, at the Moneda Palace, which is our White House, you know. And they invited invited me to play in a very very how do you say, a uh, controversial piece of history of the Moneda Palace, because the Moneda Palace where the government, where, where Allende was there, was bombed by uh, this British hawker hunter uh, planes, it was severely bombed. Inside, a lot of people, at some point Allende said, everybody should leave the place. Because it was a working day, actually. It was a um, working day, the de, de coup d'etat. Sí, fue
0: un so, martes. It was a Tuesday. Yeah it was a,
1: yeah, it was a Tuesday. And so everybody left, but the, the, the group that the personal guard of the president decided not to, even though he said you should leave, and they decided to stay with him. The <laughs> moneda got bombed to the ground almost. And at some point, when they, everything was lost, they left with the body of Salvador Allende out of a side door of the Moneda Palace, which is Morande 80. And then Morande 80 became the symbol because those those thirty something people who left with Allende were immediately taken out of, put on the floor, and they call a tank to to. To pass a tank on top of those bodies, but finally didn 't do it. They took them, imprisoned them and made and disappeared them, which are the most symbolic disappears that we have now, because the, we know as the, the first disappears, the first people who disappeared by by the, by the Chilean junta uh, the Chile military junta. so I was invited there you know to play, and I was invited by the government. And the government wanted me to say and do certain things, you see what I mean? At that at that event. And I and I I felt that they're pulling me by my arm, even though we agree, we agree in what why we are here. But you want me to play these tunes? I don't want to play those tunes. I want to play, you know what I mean? So it became a contradiction, even though we were on the same side. But we I was in. I was invited by Powers B, even though they're sympathetic. I felt tension, you know. And in the end, I play whatever I wanted. (laughs) Because even though they want me to play certain things, I ended up playing whatever I wanted there. Meaning that I feel that true art or art forms in in, in Western society, I always are odds. And our contribution. To society is to to do what we we know what we do best, and hope for the best, and hope that people are gonna see this, they're gonna at some point feel touched, uh, they're gonna. Uh, Think about there are some philosophers who would think you know for example that art shatters consciousness and then consciousness as, as as you give them something new consciousness is chatter and shattered and then uh, new things new forms new way of thinking are, are are in 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 present of you and therefore you can take different routes in terms of uh, what you do with your life I don't know if that's possible or not. The only thing that I know is this what I was brought here to this earth to do, which is to play and to remove people from their comfort and and tell and, and ask them to think and rethink about uh, the human existence and the human condition, which is not an easy one. So art and democracy uh, are at odds because democracy is a huge word. And so I feel that maybe artists who are want to contribute and still you know be critics of what's going on, they have to feel outside even democracy itself, and try to do whatever they do and question even question democracy as, as we know as, as we construct democracy as, 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 as a way of existence in, in society and, and create societies around this big word. And so that's what I think is, what I do is small contribution. We are so many, uh, you you shouldn't be so arrogant about what you do, you you do what you do and then people take it. And some people are gonna take it the right way. Some people are gonna say, you know, Mr. Cruz got to hell.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I can't help uh... Asking this, Kike, um, we weren't planning on it, and I hope Loretta won't mind, but um, are you concerned at all about the situation
1: in the States today? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Cal, you know, one of the reasons that I came here because of that, I came here just at the time when there were, when Trump became very, very popular. And for some reason, I felt that Trump was going to win the elections. I said to people that a lot of people didn't believe it because it was unbelievable what happened, <laughs> The people were going to elect this man the first time. And I said to my, my couple, let's get the hell out of Dutch. Let's get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> because this ain't going to get no better than what it is. Let's let's try to, to, to go to Chile and see if if something else is gonna happen something better is there for us. So we left. Nonetheless, you know, an attend one ear was placed <laughs> at the United States, you know, in my case, listening to the news, listening to the news, and listening when he lost. And listening now, as he gets very 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 popular, you know, so yes, I'm concerned for you Cal <laughs> you know I'm concerned for loreto I'm concerned for my friends who I left there musicians, great musicians that I was able to work with them, some of them live close by to mendocino, and so yeah, there is huge concern about the popularity of um I don't know if the word is called right wing or conservative or, 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 or people who are of small vision of life in the midst of a uh, huge circumstances that had to do with the earth itself, you know, and humanity at risk. And these small minds are taking over uh, there. I don't care who they are, right, left, center, I don't care. But these minds are very, very—I don't know—the the word in Spanish is obtuse, the very, very, very narrow ways of thinking about complex problems. You know.
0: Thank you, Kike, and um, it's good to know that you are in Chile. So I may turn around and just go and <laughs> and ask for your wing to you know, like como un pequeño pollito ahí, say, porque if, if things are really uh, but but let's let's uh, explore a little bit uh, so how many years you lived here in the in the bay area
1: i got there in 1981 and i left 6 years ago many right. many years ago. i don't right. like to come years at all because uh, i'm so vain i always wanna have less years than i the ones that i have i always take few years of my life and i don't know but it, it's it's a life i made a life there for sure and it was a wonderful life wonderful i met so many people and i had so many opportunities uh, as well as it was hard because i was always an immigrant i was always you know i lacked something you know my accent uh, betrayed me uh, my my by being a a, a racial subject you know at times was difficult people uh, didn't like me. I shouldn't have been in certain places, for example, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I, I experienced all that. Uh, that that's something that I never experienced in my life, which to be a racial subject, to be somebody discriminated because I had an accent or because of the way I looked. Uh, that was that was hard. Uh, I, I never experienced that in Chile because because I I mingled <laughs> very well, especially when you're a musician here, you know. Uh, for some reason people i think the you know there is something benign being, i don't know i i, I should say but as being a musician you know uh, we are the soundtrack of people's lives that since they are born until they die we play so there is something nice about being a musician i was always a privileged one in chile i was always the kid that played you know even though I went, I went into prison, I was the, the person who kept playing and that gave me kind of a privileged status in, status in the society. As I got to the United States, even though I was a musician, I was a racial subject. Sometimes in places, you know, I didn't want to go out. It was hard for me to, to, to go to certain places. Uh, Travel to the south, southern part of the United States It wasn't that nice, you know. Uh, going into Oregon, I, I think in in Oregon bathrooms, I never seen in my life so much racial uh, uh, the, the the written on on the walls, you know, the graffiti, very very, you know, race oriented and hated and a lot of hate about the other, you know, about different people. The Oregon bathrooms were for males, you know, Uh, ugly places to visit. So, uh, yeah, both. I had both things, you know, the yin and yang. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Kiki, and um, so you you have been in Chile for a few years now. And in 2019 in Chile was a big movement. Uh, The movement had started before with the movement of the young people um, who was demanding free education. And then in uh, 2019, in Chile, there was this so-called estallido social, no, a social uh, disturbance that actually um, lingered for months and months and months and months. And then then we had the, the pandemic, which forced everybody to kind of cool off because there was no alternative about this, but could you give us, since you have this experience of being born in Chile, living during the the times of Salvador Allende and all, all the, the um, social movement and uh, respect for creativity and expression and uh, the presence of the poor people trying to gain control of society, and then the coup and this uh, house in fire, and then you have to leave, right? And then you come back to Chile. Now, how is it? It's been 50 years. Everybody is talking about this 50 years in the coup. Could you describe us a little bit? What's, what is the um, atmosphere in Chile now?
1: Well, it's very interesting from the point of view of how things never die. Some of these things never die, and new things come out as well. One of the things that have never died in these 50 years is fascism. Fascism seems not to die. No, it is an animal um, hard, to, hard to exterminate, let me put it that way because uh, because of the damage that this this philosophy has done in, in, in internationally, you not know, just in, in Europe, you know? Because the ideas of fascism are very, very much alive in certain places in Chile, which is really, really scary as hell. But they are also alive in certain politicians in the United States as well, you know? And some of them in France, as well as them in Italy, you know? And so, that that part is difficult to to master, to, to 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 get used to to come back and and find that very alive, and from people who are in government now, who are you know elected uh, politicians who are playing, uh, their are senators or representatives, or, or they are uh, you know mayors or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. They are public figures; they appear on TV and. And even though some of them are veiled fascists, but some of them are open, open. I mean, that that's really interesting for me, you know, to see. Then th- there is this, a, a bunch of people who have gone through trying to change the society in the past, you know, years since democracy arrived, who veered in a way uh, to very, very conservative positions, you know, And so some people who were very progressive during the dictatorship became very conservative now. And they're very, they're not fascist, I'm not saying that, but they're very scared or they're always telling you don't do this, don't do that because the dictatorship will come back or things like that. And therefore, accept the state of being, accept the situation, accept this this rampant capitalism, which is very unjust, accept the idea that t- only ten percent of the population in this country hold you know ninety percent of the national income, accept the you know poverty, accept all these things and and that's also hard to see because some of your friends have that position now, even though at some point they were saying down with the system you know but then there is also this hope of young people you know and, and 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 a new discourse that i ca- come out of in chile which has become very very strong which is women liberation movement as well as the indigenous movement or first nation movements as well as a, a young people who are more open who have a different way of thinking about power you know th- different w- questioning all political systems uh, and, and, and the all political parties and they're organizing they're organizing their society in a, in a, and civil society in a different way. So you find this this melange, you know, this, this number of things uh, mixed together. I I don't have nor hope nor nor you know nor feel defeated. I think the 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 cauldron, the, the the huge thing that is happening, the, la olla de grillos que hay acá, you know, the, the whole thing that is taking place is very complex, and so we are at the point that we don't know, for example, which next woman will be in Chile. Is this going to be a guy who his name is Cast, whose father was a member of the German uh, army, who cast his father was in was a Nazi and the guy is a Nazi in a way. The guy has visited uh, people at the prisons in Chile who were torturers, you know, and who had defend uh, this whole idea of the past that has no, no, they don't repent of what happened. They they, they have no excuses for what happened in the past. They, they will do it again. And he's very popular. He's very Trumpist in a way. And, and then you have other sectors of young people who are very, very belligerent as well, and they're against the system and they're doing their, their contributions. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. What I know is that the new government of Chile under Boris is checkmate. Allende's government is checkmate. They cannot do much in this country. So because this
0: is, the, the, sorry, Kike, this is the current president of Chile. The
1: current presidency, even though they control the executive, the house the house is controlled by the right, the cow is by their enemies. So whatever law they want to pass, they can't. And so they will have to, uh, And and in Chile, there is something different than in the United States. In the United States, strong presidents have just done whatever they want and they, 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 they govern by decree. Johnson, for example, uh, even Lincoln, Johnson, uh, I will say uh, uh, Reagan, you know, uh, uh, the guy from the new deal, what's his name is, Roosevelt, uh, even Clinton, you know, those guys, they govern by decree. They don't care. They just have strong presidents and they have the fight. Here, we don't have that type of experience. You see what I mean? Usually the president is kind of, kind of obedient to the to the Congress. You know what I mean? They don't fight much, and so and and so because uh, the new regime doesn't control anything, they don't control the house, not no, the upper or the lower house. They are just afraid. They are afraid, and therefore the new government is very checkmate. I will say to Boris, yes, just be just govern by decree. They can. They have the power, but they are not used to. There is not a history of that in the country. You see what I mean. So the situation is very complex, for sure.
0: We have only a few minutes left um, for this program today. So.
1: Yeah. One well, well, one thing I will have to say that is important for me is not to give thanks, but to to to. For me to be the musician that I am, or the filmmaker that I am, I owe it as well to the tremendous experiences and friendships that I made with artists in that country and people who helped me. Especially, I will have to say to a special musician that lives around there, whose name is Alex de Grassi, which I made records with them, which I tour with them, and I wouldn't be the musician that I am now without the relationship that I established with this incredible musician, which is Alex de Grassi taught me that an A chord, an A minor chord, is a very simple thing, nonetheless very uh, revealing, that an A minor chord can have a G as a bass, a F sharp a bass, or a, as an F in the bass, and it will become this incredible sound that I didn't know that existed, and I expand my mind, and I expand my consciousness, I my music went upside down. Thank you, Alex, for that very, very much.
0: I will make sure that Alex hears that, Uh, Kike, he (laughs) teaches at Mendocino College where I also have the privilege of teaching. And uh, I had the pleasure of um, listening to Alex who continues playing, so. But I think we are at the end of our time. And um, I want to thank you, Kike, for opening up and telling us about your story and um, and the work you are being doing which is so important and uh, i hope you're planning on coming and visiting us and bring your documentaries
1: that's what i want thank you very much cal thank you very very much loretto and uh, it was a pleasure to be with you today difficult times in chile but as well um, music is the hope music is the is the, um, the crucible
2: been a great great pleasure listening and all the best the best wishes for you and carry on please thank
1: you very much
0: well thank you kike i'm going to say again kike cruz a composer documentary filmmaker uh, who shared with life story today and helped us to understand more about the lasting consequences of the coup in chile and what's happening in chile and the creativity that still sprouts everywhere there Thank you so much to our listeners. We hope you will join us. Uh, my name is Loreto Rojas. and here with Cal Wilson Lowe. And we are going to have another program tomorrow morning at the same time for our series, Remembering uh, Chile's 9-11, 50 years ago in 1973. Thank you so much for listening.